This is Open to Hope Radio, featuring Dr. Gloria Horsley and her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley, coming to you on behalf of the Open to Hope Foundation, dedicated to those who are looking for hope after loss. Now, here's Dr. Gloria. Good morning and welcome to the Open to Hope show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my co-host, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Hi, Heidi. Uh, afternoon in New York, right? Yeah. Hello, Mom. Hi. In California. Yep. Here we are out in uh, sunny California. And um, what's going on with us to, right now, Heidi? We got uh, Halloween coming up. I know this is a pre-record, so uh, we might be past Halloween, but I think it's important to talk about these holidays coming up a little bit because we're doing a new public access TV show, and Darcy Sims is going to be on, and people will uh, be able to go at any time and access her show and handling the holidays and birthdays, Easter, Christmas, whatever holidays. It can be tough, can it, Heidi? It absolutely can. I mean, and you know, there's people are always telling me, Heidi, Halloween is tough for us because, you know, oftentimes it's children that died and siblings and they were young and when kids put on costumes, you can't see who's under there and it can bring up a lot of thoughts and feelings about children and siblings that have died. So it can be a really, really hard time of year and we have written a book called Open to Hope, Inspirational Stories for Handling the Holidays After Loss, which has all sorts of stories about various holidays written by our authors and how they got through the holidays after loss. Yeah, absolutely. So go to our site, and uh, we have a number of books that you can pick up there. Well, Heidi, I really like our show today, and I know you do too, because uh, as you said, we've also written a book on teens, um, on handling teen grief. And uh, I know that being a bereaved sibling and having, you know, being just out of teenage when you lost your brother and um, having your sister be a teenager, and uh, it it was a tough time. Both my sisters were teenagers. Right, right. That's right, too. So, uh, and it's also, um, you know, that was a big concern for me at that time. So, uh, let's get started with the show, and why don't you introduce our guest? I would love to, Mom, because I love the energy that this next guest has. I mean, you walk into it, when John walks into a room, you can feel his energy, and he is such a positive person, and I've got to tell you, if there's anybody listening that has a teenager in the Chicago area, this is the guy to see, because if I was a teenager... This is the kind of psychologist I would want to see. Um, like I said, he's very personable and very easy to talk to, and his name is Dr. John Duffy, and I met him at a Movers and Shakers event down in New York City that we, we had, I think, last year. And he is a clinical psychologist, a certified life coach, a relationship expert, and the author of The Available Parent, Radical Optimism for Raising Teens and Tweens. He is no stranger to loss, as 10 years ago, his younger brother died by suicide. He has worked through his own grief and uses his experiences to help others. Welcome to the show, John. Thank you so much. And I have to tell you, I want to be on this show more often because that intro makes me feel so good. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for that. That is is really (laughs) terrific. Thank you. Um, And thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be talking with the two of you. Well, John, uh, I want I appreciate uh, your forthcomingness about uh, the death of your brother, and I wondered if you could talk to our audience a little bit about your brother and, and how he died and what his name was, or is. Um, his, his name was Thomas James Duffy. Um, he, he died at 34 years old. He took his life um, uh, in, in, a, in a disturbing way, to be honest. He jumped off a parking garage, and he had done the same 
at 22 years old and had um, atrophied and crippled his legs at that time, worked hard to get past that, and then in the end, um, it all got to be too much for him, and he finally uh, did take his life at 34. Tom was um, an incredible spirit. I remember when we were kids, Tom is my younger brother by two and a half years, and when we were children, we would sit in the basement and draw. And I would draw six figures of firefighters. And Tom would draw the most gorgeous, ornate, dark <laughs> images. Um, and I, I remember thinking, what does he have that I don't have? <laughs> He's an incredibly talented kid. And I knew it when I was five years old, and he did too. Um, and he was sweet, and he was funny. And I, I miss him like he died yesterday. I, I feel compelled mm-hmm. to share with you that Tom suffered from um, depression and bipolar disorder. He had a lot. He carried a lot of uh, psychiatric diagnoses. And he and I happened to spend a fair share of our time in emergency rooms, in um, in mental health facilities. And strangely enough, as grim as that sounds. Some of my fondest memories of my brother take place in those settings. We had some wildly inappropriate fun <laughs> in inpatient facilities <laughs> where we were able to laugh at some of the grimness that was going on around us. So my memories of him um, are, by and large, nothing but fond and warm. Uh-huh. Now, now tell me, um, uh, were you a therapist at the time? Um, I was in training to be a therapist at the time. Uh, that was a very insightful question because as Tom was dying, um, I was learning the signs of somebody who may be compelled to commit or attempt suicide. Um, mm. And I was aware that Tom was exhibiting some of these signs. I, I, I truly was keenly aware. And the powerlessness that I felt in the wake of that time um, sits with me to this day. Uh, there is still a part of me, and I imagine you hear this from a lot of people that thinks, boy, you know, I am a trained therapist. I should have been able to do something to help him. I should have saved his life. Um, and, you know, I still, though I can um, rationally talk myself down from that, uh, I still harbor some angst about that. Some, right. um, some concern that, boy, is there anything I could have or should have done and did I lose perspective because this was my kid's brother? Yeah. Now, do, do you do you think you went into the field? I know I, I read somewhere that you were an accountant at one time, right? Is yes, that right? I was. Uh, <laughs> I worked for Arthur Anderson for about seven years. If you can believe that, I had a rather dramatic career. <laughs> <in there. laughs> yeah, <it's, laughs> I'd say so. Now, do you think your brother's uh, attempted suicide when he was twenty-two influenced the fact that you went into the field? Uh, were it not for my brother's attempted suicide and the film Ordinary People, I would absolutely not be a, be a psychologist today. I mean, um, Tom's experience had a profound, profound influence on me. Now, and, yeah, and I know that I noticed that you said somewhere that you love the field and that you're, you wouldn't do anything else and that you really enjoy it. I wouldn't do anything else. I, I am drawn to the field. Um, I write about parenting, but really, I think about how things could have gone differently for Tom, um, oftentimes. 
mm-hmm. you know, and um, and that drives a lot of my work is, is prevention. I want to interrupt you here because this is an important point, and I think Heidi's going to want to log into it too. And that is the fact that we uh, sometimes people think that we should move away from the tragedies and grief and loss we have in our lives. But actually, there's a transformational power of this grief that can drive us to unusual things. Right, Heidi? Absolutely. That's exactly what I'm hearing here with John. I mean, it, it does change the way that we work with others when we've had great adversity and loss. And and like John said, now he tends to focus a lot on prevention. And the other thing that John does, I think, is, is focus a lot on people's strengths and how to shore them up and build them up. Let's get into this for a minute because Heidi really, I was talking to her before the show and she really wants you to talk a little bit for those folks out there who are worried about their teenagers where there has been a loss. They're not worried that they're going to kill themselves necessarily, but they are worried about how they're going to help these kids. And one of the things we were talking about is texting and all sorts of things that's going on. So when I lost my son, Scott, I was terribly, terribly worried about my teenagers. What can you do for your teenagers after they've had a loss? Well, you know, um, my, my book is called The Available Parent, and I had to fight my publisher to hold on to that title. And the word availability means everything to me. And, um, you know, I can say that in the wake of some of the losses in my own family, um, we weren't always very adept being fully emotionally available to one another. And so in many ways, we had to find our own ways to assimilate the, the losses. We didn't do it in aggregate much at all. And uh, in a way, we missed this opportunity to find the strength within our family. Um, to really connect with one another in a new way in the wake of the loss. So, you know, I really encourage parents um, in the wake of losses in dealing with siblings um, to focus on their emotional availability to their uh, surviving children. Uh, I think it's I think it's critical. Um, further, I think it's important that that parent be available to themselves. You know, and sometimes we we cut things off. My mother. In the wake of my father dying, gritted it out to the point where a week later, you wouldn't have known that anything had happened. She wouldn't talk about it. She wouldn't mm-hmm. address it. And it was terribly unhealthy for her in retrospect. Now, she's come around to leading lawsuits and things like that. You know, I, I want to ask you, Was did, uh, did your brother die before your dad? Um, no, my brother died two and a half years after my father after died. After your father. And wow, that must have been really hard for her if she didn't grieve her husband's death. And then then she has mm-hmm. trouble gr- grieving her son's death. You are so correct. Because it takes, it takes you back. I mean, you, you, you know, one of the things, though, I, I'll have to say for the parents out there, man, if you've had a child die or a, a spouse die or a really significant loss with somebody that, who's been available to you living in the house, then there's an empty bed. It's pretty darn hard to even get up in the morning, let alone think of doing something else. It's so tough. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, it, it truly is. It is. But the one thing I hear parents say over and over and over, John, and I was going to ask how you would respond to this, because I work with so many grieving parents that are saying, my number one problem is that my teen does not talk about the loss, and I'm, I don't know how to get them to, to open up. How yeah. do I get them to talk about the loss? Um, you know, it, it's for teenagers because, you know, uh, there's this tendency because they, we know they've been through this trauma. It, it isn't true with every teen that there's a smoking gun, but for these teens, 
there truly is this trauma to reference. And so in my field and in parenting, we have this draw to make them talk about that. And mm-hmm. kids don't always respond that well to that direct approach. So sometimes you have to foster a connection outside of that realm in order to delve into that realm. You have to prove yourself trustworthy. Um, you have mm-hmm. to prove your relationship um, viable and resilient to what you're about to talk about. Um, so I think it's important for parents and for therapists and anybody who's working with a teen who suffered a loss to recognize there's a process here and that mm-hmm. it's not just a moment in time and he's not talking to me. It's to accept that, you know what, in his good time, he will open up about this. And if I mm-hmm. force the issue, it won't do him any favors. It might open up a wound he's not able to manage right this minute. And maybe I haven't proven myself a trustworthy keeper of his emotion. And you know, John, um, we were talking a little bit before the show. Teenagers are difficult anyway, and it's hard for a parent. How would they be if there wasn't a death in the family? Sometimes they would have been honorary at times anyway, and everything gets into this big kind of black hole of the loss. So sometimes I think you almost have to treat them as though they were, quote, normal teens. You know, it's funny. I just, I literally walked out of a high school auditorium about a half an hour ago where we talked about this very thing. And, you know, and parents were describing their teenagers. Can you believe they talk like this? Can you believe they don't talk to me? And my answer unequivocally was, oh, yeah, I totally believe that. <laughs> that, is, that is entirely developmentally appropriate. And even in the wake of a significant loss, teenagers are teenagers. And there are certain phases and, um, you know, elements of life that they are going to go through. And so we can't expect them not to be teenagers, not to go through those adolescent times in life. And part of that is pulling up and holding back. And, you know, and we have to, to some extent, accept that. And the harder we fight it, the less, less successful we tend to be. Uh-huh. One of the suggestions that I always have for parents if they've had a loss is uh, find a neighbor or, or a friend or whatever that has a kid your age that you admire the way they parent and talk to them about what's going on. Because you might find out that you're getting some of the same stuff and you're attributing it to a loss. Absolutely. Why not make, make use of the resources at your disposal? And why recreate the wheel, right? If you've got somebody in your life who you feel like, boy, they've been here on some level before, I'm going to ride those coattails and learn from their experience. Absolutely. We'd be fools not to do that. Tell our audience what you told Heidi. Heidi, you asked him about your 14-year-old, right? I did. I said, I have a 14-year-old who is a man of few words. I mean, (laughs) he'll come home from school and it's like, Alexander, how was your day? Fine. Anything new? No. Mm -hmm. Anything old? No. What did you do? Nothing. <laughs> oh, yeah. I said to John, yeah. I said to Dr. John at the beginning of the show, give me some quick advice on how to get my 14-year-old son, who's a sweetheart, but he just doesn't talk a lot, to open up a little more. And you said yeah. you're good. Yeah, you know, um, we we deal with a bit of a soundbite society now. I was telling parents this morning that you know if we get 140 characters a tweet, we're lucky. But oftentimes we get you know what's up, uh, you know. <laughs> How's it going, mm-hmm. you know? And and um, and we need to take advantage of moments that we get with our kids because not always are we going to get kind of extended time to have lengthy discussions with them. And in my experience, make ourselves available to our kids. You know, I am mm-hmm. here for you if you want to talk. That holds just as much import as them actually talking to you. If they know that you are an ally 
as a guide and that you are not deep in the enemy camp. You are in pretty good stead with your child, even if they're not telling you all their deepest, darkest secrets. And you can bet that eventually they'll open up a little bit more. Now, that's a relative term. A generation ago, kids would open up a lot more. But now, you may get a few words. You may be able to get in a few words. And I don't see that as a parenting failure. I see that as making inroads into availability. Uh, Any inroads that you can make, I'll take. I like that. I happen to live across the street from uh, Heather's sister, and uh, there are four kids over there. And it texts my grandson, who is a junior in high school, uh, we have ribs for dinner. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> And he that's your text. Yeah, and he might wander over. <laughs> that's great. If there's food involved. <laughs> yeah. Cookies here. You know what? That is, you, you have touched on the key to engaging a boy. Um, you know, if you can get him food in front of him that he likes to eat, good and sloppy and messy, he's more likely mm-hmm. to open up and be relaxed. If you're willing to, you know, play a game with him or watch his favorite show with him. You got a better shot than if you're just saying, let's sit down at the kitchen table and have a deep and deep discussion. I will say that there, in my experience, and, and maybe, um, Lori, you can tell me whether this is your, your experience with Heidi. Um, sometimes when I work with girls, they'll come in, they'll sit down, they'll say, my brother's very sick. I'm very afraid of losing him. I'm feeling this and this and this about it. I'm having trouble with my boyfriend. And she will lay out the landscape of her emotional life in 15 seconds, and it will make life <laughs> so much easier for me, the therapist. But boys, boys never do this. They never give me this mm-hmm. gift. <laughs> it's very frustrating. Right. Yeah I, yeah, I think that's true. I think you do hear a lot more, and uh, our granddaughters do come over and talk. They love to talk to my, da- uh, my dad, my husband, their grandpa. They love to sit down and talk to mm-hmm. him about the, their issues. Yeah. It's very interesting. Yeah. You know, I I wanted to I wanted to ch- change gears a second because I know we're almost ready to close. But I John is seriously one of the most positive people I have ever met. I mean, from a and I don't even know him that well. He just has this aura about him. And what I wanted to ask you, John, I mean, here you've had a brother die by suicide who was a very close friend of yours, not only just a brother. How what do you what what do you attribute as far as how did you cope? to get to a point of such joy and hope again? I mean, what did you do for our audience out there that's not knowing how they're going to get through something like this? Yeah. You know, it, it's interesting. Um, I, I I decided not to ignore his existence. I have a 17-year-old son. We talk about Tom all the time. I tell George stories about his Uncle Tom, who he really didn't know. Uncle Tom held him one time his whole life. But he loved these stories because Tom was an amazing artist. So I'll show him his art. I'll tell him what he was like. I'll tell him how funny he was. I'll tell him about his struggles. And so in a way, I refused to let his memory die because of the way he died, which I think that happens in a lot of suicides. It's just seen as tragic. An entire life is almost dismissed. Well, Tom had an mm-hmm. interesting life. And, and I like to talk about his life. And it makes me happy to talk about his life and remember him and remember what I carry that that's part of him. Um, I will share with you guys that I'm a runner. And when I run, every once in a while, I will weep. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of it is that I feel like I am running for both of us. <laughs> that, 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 that it's both me it. and Tom. 
uh, he and I out there on the track, and I tend to listen to music that he would have loved. It's way outdated. I don't know if you remember what music was like in the year 2000, but it wasn't the best. Um, but I listen to it <laughs> because it inspires me to connect with him. And sometimes when I am lost in my work, I think about how Tom would have handled this because he was a man of great wisdom. Now, it didn't always mm-hmm. play out. And I think if you ask my parents, they might say, no, he, you know, he was a slacker. He didn't really do much of anything. But if you really listen, he was a man of great wisdom. Uh-huh. Um, he, he had demons that haunted him most of his life, but that didn't make him a non-entity. It didn't make him anybody to be ashamed of. Quite the contrary. I honor him, I admire him, and I think about him often. Um, and I'm willing to accept that. Sometimes that's going to make me want to cry, and sometimes that's going to make me want to laugh. And I value both ends of that spectrum. Uh, I love it. Well, that's important to, that's to, wonderful. to have that, be able to go from sadness to joy. And that's a wonderful uh, spectrum. I know that the more that you can kind of stretch that the greater uh, life you have in between well thank you so much for being on the show today and I hope to get to meet you sometime thanks John thank you so much Heidi it's been a great show having him on today hasn't it and uh, that positiveness and energy and John's doing so much in the world out speaking to parents and all that kind of thing and uh, helping with teenagers at a tough time absolutely and I love what he said about his brother Tom he wasn't the way he died. He was the way that he lived. I mean, yes. he lived. He was a very deep person, right, John? He was a very, very Absolutely. deep person. Yeah. And oh, deep he thinker, was. He and was. that really comes across today. And that's what we, as bereaved siblings, want people to hear about. We want to hear. We want them to hear about how our brothers lived. That's what we yep. want to tell the world. So thank you, John. All right. Well, thanks for listening to Open to Hope today. And please visit us on our website. And uh, you can uh, put your events on our international calendar. We have books that you can uh, download. And uh, also, uh, you can come in on our forums and uh, write about your life and what's been going on. We'd love to hear from you. And thanks for listening. From Dr. Gloria and Dr. Heidi. been listening to Open to Hope Radio, hosted by Drs. Gloria and Heidi Horsley. Like today's edition, all of our past programs are available on demand at opentohope.com, along with helpful articles, videos, resources, and links to help get you through the toughest time of your life. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter and sign up for our monthly newsletter. Again, that's opentohope.com. Check it out today. Then be sure to stop by next Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time when we'll be posting another edition of Open to Hope Radio. Remember, others have been where you are. They made it through, and you can too, as long as you're open to hope.